Okay, so before we get in uh, and get going, let me just remind our audience that as we try and spread the word about what we're trying to do here and help as many people as possible, we'd love it if you did those things like download it if you're on Apple Podcasts and leave reviews and stars and so on, or for YouTube, uh, rate it and subscribe and like it and leave comments. And for other platforms, it's uh, whatever they allow you to do there where you, you do likes, you do shares, uh, you comment and, and so on. And that just helps get the word out to more people. And we're doing this to help as many people as possible. And we could use your help. So thank you for that. Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have made them become more real to us because we believe that helps us apply them to our lives and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mulstein, and I have returning with me one of my favorite people in the world, Phil Allred. Uh, Dr. Phil Allred, who uh, has been a guest before, uh, one of our earliest guests on this podcast, starting back with uh, the story of Abraham, and uh, he's been on with us a number of times. Uh, We've been in Jerusalem together. Uh, He is uh, typically teaching at BYU-Idaho, but doing a short stint uh, at BYU in Provo. Uh, and I'm so happy about that because he's moved in very close to me and it makes my wife and I happy. So uh, anyway, welcome, Phil. What else should we know about you? Oh, my word. That's awesome. That's great. Well, and our offices are going to be right next to each other, too. So it's, I saw that yesterday. It's, neighborhood. it's awesome. You're going to be so sick of me, Carrie. I don't know. No. In fact, you left your door open and I, I, I stopped by several times. I didn't see you there, but I was really tempted to go in and just like turn everything around backwards just to say that I've been there. <laughs> but I was in so much of a hurry, I couldn't do it. So <laughs> <laughs> had some meetings yesterday, so I was in and out. But yeah, that's yeah. great. Sorry, I missed you. Uh, we have, we'll, we'll have plenty of chances. <laughs> Well, and I guess we should say you studied at Notre Dame. So I think we talked about that before, but I'll just remind people of that and so on. Anyway, what were you going to say? I was going to say, in some ways, that's relevant, too, because I had the privilege of taking a course on the book of Hebrews as part of my graduate studies with Dr. Harold Attridge, who wrote the Hermenia volume, um, uh, reference volume on it. And just a really interesting guy. He's, He's since gone on to Yale. He's probably retired now, but... But Dr. Attridge was a, a guide for me in this book. And so some of the things that uh, have struck me <clears throat> kind of have some of their origins in that course. But but even earlier than that, I'll tell you a story uh, a little bit about myself that happened in Japan when I was serving as a missionary. And I might as well just jump in and, and do that. Good. Anything else on the introduction or should we just no, jump in? No, let's jump in. Okay. So <clears throat> there I am. I, I'm about a year in the mission field. And I'm in a, a city called Yao, Yao City. And I really liked it. It was kind of country-ish, but there was there was some city areas too. But but it 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 uh it was at the stage of my mission where I was feeling a little more comfortable where I could speak, you know, the language a little bit and uh gotten over not over, I would say, but gotten past the the hardest parts of my homesickness and those kind of things that that are incident to being away from home and in the mission field for many, I would assume. Uh, I hope I wasn't the only one that, you know, littered his journal with some tears at times. But um, there I am on my bike this morning. We're heading off somewhere. I can't remember exactly. But as we're going down this street, I just it's like an obstacle course, a moral obstacle course. In Japan, there's a little less um, care over the body image. And there's some pornographic images and some maybe, you know, titillating advertisements and things are far more common there than here. It's like when I lived in L.A. 
but anyway, yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Say here was a, was a small town, <laughs> Idaho, where I grew up. But so, so I, I, I literally found myself, I couldn't look anywhere. It just seemed like I couldn't look anywhere except yeah, straight down the road, you know, on this, you know, like a, a horse with this, you know, a blinders on. And I thought, I just, I just literally, I was bouncing off thing I couldn't see after thing I couldn't see. And I just, it kind of welled up in me. And I just kind of, I don't remember if I vocalized it. I, I very well could have, I felt it, but I just kind of yelled to heaven. I'm sick of this. When can I just look? When, when is this just going to be like, I don't have to do all this, you know? And I had the most interesting experience. Uh, it was this a, a sweet moment where there was almost a conversation opened up and the response was quick. And it was, this isn't your home. Mm. And I, at, at first there was a split second where I thought, what? And then it dawned on me. And then this phrase came into my mind, you're a stranger here. And then the further phrase, you're a stranger and a pilgrim. This is not your home. This is not your city. And that was what I needed because I realized, oh, my struggle in this place is not just Yao City in Japan on this day. It's mortality. Yeah. It's yeah. this life. Uh, as as has been said, I'm trying to remember who coined it, but you know we're we're not celestial beings trying to live a celestial life. We're celestial beings, if you will, from our pre-mortal existence, right? Uh, going through a telestial crucible, and that crucible it, it, it does feature a lot of bouncing off of stuff that you, you you can't feel at home with. This isn't our home, and and that passage. So so that was a really interesting thing. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I must have been fairly recently studying in the New Testament and reading in Hebrews because that phrase was a direct quote uh, here from chapter 11. And if we go there um, uh, quickly, verses uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, I'll just read those for a second and see if that resonates uh, with our audience and, and uh, as we have felt probably similarly. This is in a passage about... Um, in a sense, we call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. You know, it's kind of the New mm -hmm. Testament version of, of, of Ether 12, where again, a, a similar kind of list of all these great faithful folks. And this is in a passage uh, about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. And so in 13, these particularly, most specifically contexted are Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Sarah. But before that, Abel and Enoch and others have been noticed, uh, uh, noted in, in Noah as well. Just says, verse 13, these all died in faith than this, not having received the promises. Now that struck me and it should strike us as, well, wait, I've received lots of promises. Of course, the word received here has, is indicative of having attained yeah. the promise, right? So... They, though, notice what it says, they saw them having seen them, meaning the promises, afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. I love that language. It's got some ritual connotations, some ordinal connotations, right? Yeah. They, right now, in this case, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. <laughs> right. And uh, we could go on and maybe come back to these passages. But that day 
So I suppose something about me is that I, I long for my home and I know my home is not here. Mm-hmm. And it, the verses go on to say that, look, they're seeking a country in verse 14. And then, then mindful of the reader, maybe perhaps misunderstanding says, well, now if they'd been mindful of that country from what they come out of, like Haran or, you know what I mean, Ur and the Mesopotamia, right? If that had been what they were thinking of, well, they could have returned. They knew how to go back there. They did, there was maps and they'd, they'd made that journey. That isn't what he's talking about. Verse 16, they desire a better key word in the book of Hebrews. That word comes up more often than in any other passage of scripture in the book of Hebrews, better. They desire a better country. It's an heavenly one. And so God is not ashamed to be their God. He's prepared for them a city, and it's not to be found on this earth yet. Uh, and so that day, I was greatly comforted, oddly, not because God changed anything, right? Not because God's, oh, it's suddenly fine. You can look. Or suddenly, you know, whatever. Yeah, all the billboards are gone now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, let me just give you perspective. You're not of this earth. Uh, you're going to eventually, when this earth becomes its paradisiacal glory, well, then that's fine. But, but that's not yet. And that means you got to fight every day. And so don't look for a time you don't have to fight. Don't look for a time where don't don't look for some rest that's premature. That's good. And and uh, I mean, that's exactly what I was thinking of when you read this thing where they, they hadn't received the promises, but they've seen them far off, like for, for Abraham and Sarah, for example. I mean, they have had Isaac uh, by, before they die. But their promise is multitudes of nations really possessing that land. And the whole time they were in there, they felt like they were the strangers. They didn't feel like they really possessed it. Everyone else possessed it. They had to buy <laughs> land if they were going to have a tomb. Uh, they they uh, So even in that sense, they hadn't yet received those blessings. But I think that it's talking about that and more, uh, that there's this heavenly, the, the ultimate fulfillment of millions and millions of, of descendants and, and worlds without end and so on and so on. And they, they get it and they're willing to wade through this part without it. And as, as I thought of that, I thought of people I'm very close to who uh, have some struggles that may, that they'll probably have their entire life. And honestly, then I remembered something I wrote a long time ago that uh, if we think we're going to be done with struggles by the time we die, we're just, we're just mistaken. There is going to always be something we're struggling with, always. Um, and uh, so it's comforting to see that people like Abraham and Sarah also knew that. They also had struggles to the end of their life. As you said, I mean, going to have to keep your eyes away from the billboards or whatever the struggles are. But um, we we can take comfort in knowing that the time is coming when these promises come, when we do get our real home. And that's so, so beautiful. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it does, it does sign us up for again, a long haul here, right? Yeah. Fair. Enough. But, but it's beautiful. Uh, I, I remember elder Oaks uh, at the time having taught about the atonement either strengthens or it heals. And there are times when the savior and the father are willing under the needs, our needs of growing to become like them, that a healing is required. And But I think that's probably in the minority of the time that the, the, the great design here is much like a gym, right? And we really can't have the trainer lifting the weights for us. 
uh, and and taking them off the bar. You know, we actually have to lift those weights. No other way to tear those muscles. And then in the tearing of them and the healing of them, they're strengthening coming. Right. So in, in a sense, it's like I can't walk into the gym and say, where's the chocolate fountain? Uh, yeah. And oh, point me out to the big uh, love sack and the pillows. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they're going to look at me like, what's what you, you saw that it's a gym. Jeez, you know what a gym is, right? And it, and I think sometimes it, my misunderstandings at times in the gospel have been that if I'm good and I'm trying and I'm and I'm repenting, then God's going to clear the way before me, and and He does at times, uh, but the way before me is actually littered with torture devices. <laughs> you know, the, the way it, and it has to be. There's no other way growth can come and be earned it has to be individually earned through those you know torturous experiences hence the book of hebrews talks about even in our family relationships uh jesus as our great model always was chastened uh chastened is probably not the right word he 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 became perfect through sufferings we were told right in chapters five kind of repeats again in seven and then in 12 uh in hebrews 12 he talks uh the uh hebrews writer of course we Latter-day Saints most often default to Paul writing this book in many ways, but scholarship suggests as many as 13 other potential writers. I'm not too worried about who wrote it. It's certainly Pauline in thought and idea, yeah. not always in expression. That's fine. But if you read, get into scholarship, it's kind of fun. But early church fathers like Origen, et cetera, seem to, to waffle on it, uh, sometimes falling on Paul otherwise. But that's of no true import. The key is that the writer here uh, in verse uh, in chapter 12, verse five says, look, you've forgotten the exhortation that speaketh unto you as unto children. Right. Then, quote, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him for whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth and scourgeth every son or daughter, we would add, whom he receiveth. And then the promises, if ye endure this chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For yeah, what And sons? I think we could probably just say children there. My, my guess is yeah. if this is to the Hebrews, it's likely written in Aramaic, and there's not a word that is different for son, plural sons than for just children. So I'd say children. But anyway, sorry, yeah. keep going. Yeah, but that's it. That's the idea is that, that for what child is he whom the father that chastens not right yeah yeah and and so i think today one of our cultural um i i think goodness is is also a tool in the adversary's hand to be rested and into a, a a problem and that is we are very careful i think today to not be judging of others and uh and i think in an unrighteous judgment that's beautiful and we we want to band together and help each other rather than pointing fingers at each other. Uh, at the same time, that can breed a discontent with being corrected in any way. And you know what I mean? In that yeah. benevolence and love of others, we want to be kind and thoughtful, and we should be. But the greatest kindness, our prophets tell us, of course, is when when we are in the yoke together and counseling together. And that counseling together it features some pointing out of deficiencies. It features some, I mean, just like a, just again, use the gym analogy. If I go into the gym, my personal trainer cannot just either not show up 
or if he, show, he or she shows up, cannot just say, oh, you're awesome. You're great. You are amazing. You know what I mean? And and that's going to benefit, right? It might, it might help me psychologically for a moment to feel nice about myself, but there's no there's no real training that's happening unless my deficiencies are being pointed out and means and ways uh, and opportunities for which those deficiencies can be overcome, right? Presented. And if I'm not careful in my pride, I see that as uncomfortable. I see that as something I don't want because I just like feeling good about myself. Right. You know, right. And so I can misunderstand this. So it's in some ways that message uh, of this chastening, it's like, wow, oh, I thought God loved me, you know, and yet his love is manifest in his laws, in his true and often direct commentary to us about how we're doing. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's that's good stuff. And in many ways, that that's a good summation of uh, uh, what acts as back kind of this exhortation. Don't turn away from Christ because things are tough. Instead, let that bring you to Christ, and then He makes that turn to your good. Uh, but you can run away, and then that that doesn't work out well. <laughs> so. And 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 I guess to return to our initial theme, and then to move forward to another theme of which you just mentioned is that hope that hope and therefore the confidence and then the boldness, right. That, that Peter yeah. talks about, I, I would say that, that if I were to become too comfortable in this world, right. So the, so that to return to that idea, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. If I, if I'm not, if I'm not actively reminding myself and going, that's right. I can't get too comfy here. Then, then I can in a kind of a spiritual malaise, right. I can just kind of just get numb to the, the way things are, right? And and if you do the, the the chart over time, you can see the world, of course, is always kind of spinning down, you know what I mean? But if we're not careful, we can just judge how we're doing by if we're maintaining the same gap <laughs> yeah. between us and the world. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, I'm not, right? Well, as the world goes off the cliff, if all we're doing is maintaining the gap, <laughs> yeah, well, we end up going off the cliff too, right? just a little later, that's all, yep. you know what I mean? So, so the idea is that with Christ, we're we're actually we're doing this. The world may be doing that. We're we're doing this, and that yeah. Means... And for for our our scene or our, our just listening audience, his hand one hand's going down, and the other hand's going up, right? So, yeah, 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 yeah. Just thinking of that graph going across there. So, so I, 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 I while it's uncomfortable at times, and sometimes grindingly uncomfortable to be a stranger and a pilgrim. Uh, it won't do me any good or anyone I love any good if if I try to obfuscate that. If I try yeah. to just act as if it isn't so, and I just and if I medicate that, right? And that so many of the addictive things that, that that we engage in, and so many of the wonderful warnings of the Lord in His commandments are: be careful. You're going to want to medicate, if you will, your loneliness. You know what I mean? You're, yes. you're going to want to medicate this loneliness for the greater world, the world that you, some of you, some part of you so knows from eternity and pre-mortality and you don't have it here. Right. Uh, and you don't have a resurrected body yet. So you can't have a fullness of joy section 93. Right. So, you, so in this intermediate period, you're going to have this uncomfortableness of being a stranger and a pilgrim. Be careful not to medicate it. Good. Right? In fact, uh, maybe two thoughts I've had as we go on that that touch on both themes in Hebrews and just overall in the podcast. Uh, if we're going to talk about being a covenant people, which is certainly an important element of this book of Hebrews, but just in general, 
part of being a covenant people is being holy uh, or more like God, less like the world or peculiar is another way of saying that. Right. Uh, and that word comes from being valuable because you're different. I mean, if we're going to become more like God, it is going to be painful because we're going to become more uh, or less and less and less like the world, both because we're approaching God and because the, the world is running away from godliness. Uh, and so that that separation is going to become more and more pronounced. And that's going to be difficult, but also wonderful. Um, yeah. And yeah. and that. uh that reminds me then of another element of this that, that that talks about kind of what you're saying, maintaining the gap. And that uh, I've I've said this often that um, if you're to to chart different trends, say the way we dress or uh, divorce trends, or uh, I'm not saying like everyone who's divorced is evil or something. Just saying in general, divorce trends or size of families or whatever else, we stay different from the world, but it really statistically, just with a gap, uh, as the world goes. Uh, wh- whichever way they go, we go the same way. We just do it at a different gap, which means in the end, the world is still setting our standards. Uh, we're we're different from the world, but the world is setting our standards, not God. And that's a problem. And so yeah. I was talking about things that you can measure statistically, which in some ways are the less important things. But if it's happening with those statistically measurable things, I'm sure it's happening with the way we think about things, the way we feel about things, with what's going on in our heart. And we have to stop letting the world set our standards and become strangers and, uh, and pilgrims and peculiar and holy and godly and feel that discomfort and embrace it and rush towards God, not towards the world. I love that. And and to to that end, something you shared years ago in the devotional at BYU Hawaii that you you gave about idolatry and that idolatry today, you know, we kind of snicker and go, what, they had these dumb idols and, you know, who does that? You know what I mean? And yet, of course, we can see that, well, they, they might have shiny chrome on them and then that, oh, and from four wheels, that could make sense and, yeah. or some other things, right? Uh, but, but, but your point was uh, ideas, Today's yeah. idols may be ideas, the ideas that are so they, they make sense on some natural man level, the common sense of the world. When you compare it to right the wisdom of God, to, to, to quote Paul in Corinthians, for example, his theme there is like foolishness and, 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 and wisdom, right? That the world yeah. thinks they got it and they think God's is like foolish. And we have to, in many ways, like you said, embrace the quote foolishness of God. It's going to look foolish to the world. It's going to look yeah. foolish in some ways to our natural man. And we need to say, oh, wait, I've got to get the mind of Christ. I need to come unto him. And, and let's go to a couple passages now just for fun riffing on that. Uh, let's go to Hebrews 8, and then we'll see it again in Hebrews 10. But this wonderful, wonderful idea of, of how we get his kind of mindset, right? So, so let's do Hebrews 8, and let's take a look at verse 10. He says, uh, and this is in context of the the problematic exodus from Egypt. Uh, they, they left the place. Again, here's a locational issue, but it's really about the heart and relationships. And they never, some of them never left Egypt in their hearts and minds, right? They left physically, but they never, they actually left behind the worldliness of Egypt or the way they were thinking their ideas back then. So in verse 10, he says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, meaning in the future and knowing what had happened with Egyptian Israelites, et cetera, I'm going to work with my people this way. He says, this is verse 10 of, of Hebrews 8. I will put my laws into their mind. Oh, 
Interesting. I will write my laws in their hearts. And then he says, I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Because we think the same. We we feel the same. We're no longer, as you said, informed gap wise or otherwise by the world or by our natural man kind of thinking. We're actually having him write it in us. And so if you go to chapter 10, you see a similar thing. Well, and and chapter- maybe I'll just point out, I mean, he's, he's yeah. not quite, but almost quoting Jeremiah there where yes. Jeremiah talks yes. about the new covenant and, and so on. So anyway, uh, Wonderful. this idea yeah. of that and that phrase be under them a God that should be my people. He's talking about this one. We're really keeping covenant because it's in your heart, not just in your actions. Yeah, it's not just even that we've gone through the motions of sitting in the temple and stand up, sit down and, you know, whatever. We do a little bit less of that than we used to now. But, but, but you know, the idea of even the rituals and the ordinances themselves, unless they bind us relationally, yeah. which is what they're designed to do. That's yeah. a relational binding uh, of, you know, the inner knitting of our hearts with the Lord's. And this is what he's describing. And I love that. So let's go to chapter 10. You see the same kind of thing in verse uh, 16. He says, this is Hebrews 10, 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. Yeah. Right. Um, it's yeah. just, oh, wow. Right. And so I like that because I think, yeah, I, I, I catch my own poor thinking and and pray to the Lord, help me think like thou dost think, you know, because, yes. you know, and, and so to do that, you know, we do the work of asking, seeking and knocking. And I think of that, those three uh, kind of activities the Lord speaks about uh oftentimes through scripture, but also in Matthew 7, as we ask, it seems like that's, that goes really well with prayer. We're literally petitioning and talking with God. We're praying with him. But seeking is also an, an important form. And I think we can seek in prayer, of course, too. But I think seeking to me is almost like searching. And I, I kind of equate that activity, discipleship activity of seeking with being in the scriptures, being in the prophets, being in general conference, being in, right, in his good word. edifying things. Yeah. yeah, I'm seeking, right, praiseworthy, lovely, good report things, particularly his words. Yes. Um, and then knocking is pretty interesting because it can be an ordinal word. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but it, it the knocking of we're literally at the door or at the, at the veil. And this is a Hebrews is the most explicit place in all of Scripture that discusses that and is where we'll be in chapter 10. We're just a few verses in front of it right now at, at verse 16. But that wonderful idea of, oh, I have speaking metaphorically, if you will, of the father, I have many ways that I can help build this relationship with you, that I can write these laws in your heart and that and in your mind. And, and it'll be through prayer. It'll be through my word. It'll be through the ordinances that my church administers and that my priesthood, right, performs. And, and I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to build a relationship with you. I'm going to draw you in, and we're going to build a relationship through these activities and more. But those three massive activities, to me, discipleship activities, really help create and then cement our conversion to Christ. Very good. That's beautiful. And, and uh, it, it doesn't surprise me that uh, as as we're talking about this, we, we keep coming on uh, kind of some Old Testament themes, because I think that the author of Hebrews is really trying to get us to to spend some time in some of those um, Old Testament themes. 
And and we see again this kind of reference to uh, Jeremiah or Ezekiel talking about having the law um, really in our hearts and uh, and you talking about, you know, th- these leaders, I would just say uh, one of the things when I teach the second half of the Old Testament that we the, the text forces us to come up against again and again and again is the influence that leaders have on their people, on, on whether they're righteous or not. And when we read that, we tend to say, oh, well, you know, did we elect a good president or not or something along those lines? And uh, yeah, that's important. But I, I try and emphasize on my students and pretty soon it becomes really clear to everyone and it becomes a conversation we have again and again and again that probably the most important leaders are our are, are thought leaders, people we choose to uh, have influence on our our brain and our thoughts, right? So uh, it struck me uh, at our last state conference, we had a, a visiting um, area authority, uh, Elder Huntsman, when his wife was speaking and she was talking about something she'd heard while she was walking and, and she had her ear or AirPods in, I think she said earbuds, whatever she said. But she said, you know, I'm very careful these days about who I give access to my ears and my brain. And I thought that's exactly what we need that this whole idea of thought leaders, and I think that's what it's talking about here. If what what is going to be in our hearts and in our minds? Going back to verse sixteen, there, yeah. be careful about who you are giving access to your brain, uh, because it will influence you whether you want it to or not. It will influence you, and so this seeking that you're talking about and knocking and so on, we should be actively seeking good thought leaders, good people to influence the way we view things and the way we think about things to help us be godly. Because if not, the the default will be, if we're not proactively seeking that, the default will be that the world sticks stuff in our ears and will become more worldly rather than more godly to go back to the theme we were already talking about. So, right. I I don't know. I I don't want to be too personal, but I there were times that I would be in the temple and I would have um, the invitation of the spirit before I began the ordinances as I was dressing to, uh, to kneel in the stall and having dressed for whatever the ordinance right. was. To, so to the, the locker room stall, the little locker about. room yeah. stall to, to kneel yeah. in that stall before, you know, getting to the ordinance and to following elder Bednar, uh, years ago in an address to the seminary and institutes of CES overall, uh, where I think it was in 06, where he gives this address about, mm. um, in some ways, how how you uh, really learn. And he says, you kind of have to give authorization to the Lord to do this. Yeah. Like the Holy Ghost will carry it unto you. Like 2 Nephi 33, verse 1, right? The Holy Ghost will carry it unto you. But the into part, now that, that you run that part, the into, right? Yeah. And so I felt the Lord saying, okay. Um, do you want me to write my law in your heart? Because I'm going to need your permission to do it. Mm-hmm. And do you want, right, this in your mind and in your heart? And I, I need authorization. I won't force this on you. I, I've protected agency from the earliest beginnings of everything we know, and I continue to do so even at the loss of some of my children. So I can't and I won't do it unless you ask. And so I have felt at times uh, to kneel and and ask and make it a more uh, consistent pattern in my life to say, Father, I give you permission. Thou hast permission. I not only 
uh, want and desire, but I authorize and plead and beseech, you know, write thy law in my mind and in my heart. Uh, you know, and it anyway, whatever that's worth, discipleship, that, that'll come through the spirit to each of us in our way of, about how to do that. But but I I have tried and I am trying to uh to activate and authorize his writing in me. In fact, I love just just for fun, go to chapter 12 real quick, where where we have this passage. It's one of the few, I think there's only twice in scripture that he is described this way, speaking of the Savior, and we'll come back to the idea that the book of Hebrews is so profoundly um pro-Jesus. Should we say you know I mean that that's yeah. Oh, yeah. Almost, yeah. almost uh profane, but I mean he's just so pro-Jesus, you know, that Jesus is better than everything, all these other things he's better than, yeah. right? Um, but but if you look at verse um two yeah. in chapter 12, it says, looking unto Jesus, and then this, the author and finisher of our faith. Right. Now, Moroni, we use that language too, but but there's that idea. He wants to author in us. You know, this idea of of he wants to author in us and he needs to author in us. I can't write that in me. I can't. I don't have it in me. I need him to write it in. Yeah. On my best days, I, you know, I'm I'm far deficient. So he must be the author. And uh, so, so let's, let's pick and, up. And maybe to, to return to oh, that okay. just a little bit, the, uh, to some degree, like our, what is going to be written on our heart or in our mind, it's like a hard drive that only has so much space. So if he's going to write more, you're going to have to delete some stuff. Uh, and that's that world. That, yeah. I, I mean, he cannot, we can authorize it, but he cannot write it there if we're so busy being written on by the world. Um, and so we have to delete the worldly stuff in order to make room for uh, the, on the hard drive of our heart to have, uh, God write the godly stuff. To to that end, since you mentioned that, let's let's do this. There's another aspect to his authorship that's kind of cool. If you're in chapter 10, again, we're dancing around what I think is the absolute heart of, of the book of Hebrews. So uh but but in yeah. 22, so Hebrews 10, 22, he he yeah. he says, let us draw near, right? There's that idea of movement. I'm 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 not where I need to be. I, I am where I need to be in the sense of I've got to be here and go through this experience, right? I've got to be a stranger in a pilgrim for a time, but I need to be moving through being a stranger in a pilgrim on the way to becoming the citizen of the country that he's prepared, the city, yes. to be, right? So, so here's this this movement, this dynamic movement. It's featured throughout Hebrews. It's fascinating. It's an, it's in juxtaposition, by the way, and in fruitful tension, if you will, or balance with with steadfastness and being immovable then you've got this this drawing near and entering in and all the, you get this really interesting interplay of discipleship moves sometimes we have to sit still and know he's got other times we got to be moving we got to we got to be anxiously engaged we got to be you know along the covenant path but you've got twin virtuous things we have to do that express in in many ways the totality of our discipleship we at times have to stand still and be patient and let him do this thing. And other times he says, I, you've got to move. you got to build these barges. you got to get across this water, whatever the case may be. Um, so, so verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Yeah. So we have here and then that idea of let's hold fast that profession right? we're drawing near but then we're holding fast our profession right um but i love this because 
he's not only authoring in some kind of ethereal, almost uh, uh, invis invisible way in inside us somewhere. It's our bodies too. And I had an experience in Japan. It just blew my mind to, to return to, the, to that wonderful place and that amazing formative time in my life. But I'd, I'd met a, a, a young woman at the door with my new companion. He was uh, brand new. And anyway, we knocked on this. Somebody actually opened. It was un unusual many times. So somebody opened the door. Wow. Okay. Well, there's this, this young woman there and she was, you know, smaller. And my companion was 6'4" blonde beach god from california right you know and um so there we are the you know two big you know caucasians at her door and she just freaks out she just well <laughs> i knew i knew she'd just frozen you know but my companion he 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 was new he's like oh so he just launches into this thing you know he's butchering his japanese it's really great and and she just sitting there you know and he he pulls out a you know she's not leaving and she's not saying anything so he's like okay here we go he slaps a book of mormon in her hand you know and uh, uh you know she, so she's got and 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 she's like uh you know she, again just hilarious and so we leave you know and um i i was kind of chuckling and my companion was like that was so great we just gave a book of Mormon that girl i think it'd be so good and and my you know foolish heart was like dude you, you missed all the signs. She she is not, you know, she was, she was just freaked out and scared. Well, I didn't say, say it to him, I don't think. I didn't want to burst his bubble. Well, wonderfully, in a couple of days, she shows up at the church where on a weeknight, we're doing these English classes, free English classes. And uh, she shows up, she comes to me, hands me the book, and then turns and like she's going to beeline it. And I just say, stop. And so she's she freaks out. She's like, she, she freezes again. So I stopped. So I, I quickly looked found the Japanese sisters that were that were the assigned there. And I and I I brought them over and I said, hey, I'd like you to meet. Anyway, coolest thing. Within three weeks, she's baptized. Uh -huh. you know, it's like, oh man. But what's really cool is this. Months later, I'm in the I'm in this massive train station in Osaka, and it's 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 unbelievably huge. Uh, and we had gone to some meeting. I think I was in uh some leadership position. I've had to go to some meeting or whatever. So I was there. We were coming back. I was kind of tired. Day was long. Anyway, I'm sitting on the train and and um and this 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 Japanese person across the way, this woman, she's she's just looking at me directly. Super unusual for Japanese to to maintain that eye context. It's kind of like rude. Anyway, she's just laser beaming me. And I'm uh anyway, I'm just kind of odd, you know, of course it's a, an elder I'm all trying not to, you know, another thing I'm not supposed to be looking at, right? So I'm, I'm like, uh anyway, she comes over and I'm like, oh, this is so weird. What in the world? She comes over and she's all red And I'm like, oh, okay. You read my tag or you know I did not recognize her. It was this girl. She had so changed. Her countenance was so different. Huh. She physically, I did not recognize her. Now, I, I didn't know her long. I, I, fair enough. But yeah. it was so profound. And she said, I've, I've got like three callings in the ward. It's, and she was engaged as a disciple. And huh. it was writing in her body. It was amazing. And I've always remembered that. And I, I get off the mission. So a second piece of the story. Get off the mission. I go home to uh, Burley, Idaho, where I grew up. My mother was an English and Spanish teacher at the high school. And I, I, after school, I thought oh, it'll be fun to go over and walk mom home from school, just a few blocks away from home anyway. But so I, I did. I go through the hallways and there's, you know, posters half hanging and papers all over the floor and everything. And uh, as I'm on my way to my mother's classroom, out pops 
uh, an English teacher of mine, non, non-member English teacher. Uh, and she's got a bunch of papers and we kind of nose to nose run into each other. I'm like, oh, and I step back and I say, oh, Mrs. Snow, how are you? And she looked at me and she did a bit of a double take. And she said, unbelievable. She said, you look holy. <laughs> I was two, three days off my mission, right? Yeah. And she said that. Now, she's not a member of the church. In fact, she had kind of an acrimonious relationship with the church um, in small town, Idaho. She'd been hit up a number yeah. of times, I think, didn't appreciate it, whatever. Uh, but she just, and I said, and I knew through the spirit, like, oh, she sees it. Yeah. She sees it. It's been, he's, he's written on my body. Yeah. And she sees it. And That's so I just deal. said, it, it really is. And I think we've all probably had experiences with that. President McKay used to talk about the radiation we give off, right? Yeah. We radiate, right? Yeah. And anyway, I I knew I knew beautifully. I said, well, I'm not holy, but I can tell you what I've been doing for two years. I've been teaching people about Jesus who, who is holy. And you know what I mean? And yeah. that's very kind of it. Anyway, we just had this nice little conversation, but it was it was so fun. And so when we sprinkle, right, as he says, we draw near and we have our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed. That authoring that Jesus does, that writing, it's real. It's, yeah. it's very, very real. And it's oftentimes perceivable, sometimes not to us. I, I didn't think I looked holy. Yeah. I wouldn't have said that. But she did. And I think this girl, this Japanese girl, she wouldn't have said she looked holy or anything. She, it would have been a foreign concept to her. Like, what? You know what I mean? And yet... To you, this yeah, goes to that peculiar, to that treasure, to that segula, right? That 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 notion that God says, "I want you to be like," and I'm, I'm going to write that in you if you like. Yeah, in fact, I just was with someone last night where it's like, "Wow, it's been a while since I saw you," and there is a light in your eyes that I haven't seen before. It's an incredible light, and it's it's noticeable to everybody. Um, it's real, and I have to, you know, as as we're looking at that verse twenty two, uh, and of course he's. He's been talking about the veil and the Holy of Holies and so on there. So you've got a yeah. lot of temple imagery. And so in the temple, there there was like washing, right, with pure water where you like fully wash a, a body. And, and we get the, the symbolism of that. The sprinkling happens both with blood and with oil, right, which I think is symbolic of the, the atonement of Christ and carried and the light of Christ carried into us by the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so uh, this is really I think what it takes, if we're going to have that that light, if it's going to be authored on us, as you're saying, um, it takes having the world. This is that deleting the, the hard drive, right? Having the world washed away from us and instead having the atoning power of Christ and what the Holy Ghost teaches us written on us. Uh, and that's carried out in the symbolism of the rituals of the tabernacle and the temple today. Isn't that amazing? And you think yeah. you think of the renewal ordinance literally eating and yeah. drinking right you know what i mean it's yep. it's just it's just so beautiful isn't it and and yet yeah. if we're not careful that can become rote or we can avoid it because we you know we feel guilty and we feel like you know so so that brings me back to maybe two things as our time is winding up um two things that are significant and i want to park them as as more ideas than as like let's full blown explore them because partly partly because I think it's more powerful when it's discovered rather than just when it's told. So, And, and that gives me the chance to just make a, my plea that I like to make, that we want this not to be a substitute for reading the scriptures. This is to spur you into the scriptures and to studying them more on your own. So I, I love this idea. Yeah, yeah. And that, that sense of like, so we mentioned earlier that you've got this fruitful balance of, on one hand, you know, 
we're, we're steady and all this. And on the other hand, we're moving and we're, you know, uh, how does that look in our lives? What does that look like for me? And to ask that from the Lord and have him kind of operationalize it, have, have him explain, okay, that looks like this for you right now. And in seasons of our life, that's going to change. And for other people, it's going to be different. But, but the idea there, right? So so two quick thoughts maybe to park as, as um, invitations to go back into the text and learn. One is the let's go back to chapter two, Hebrews two. In the in the discussing of Jesus, who he is, what he is, um, you know, there's something very significant here where he says, um, we'll start in verse um 10. Okay. Well, let's start in nine. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. And that, of course, is the condescension, right? The here, here is the what we would call the high Christology going to low Christology. <laughs> it's just kind of interesting. In one verse, you go, you go, oh, he's he's this everything, and but now he's been made lower than the angels. He's gonna die even. He he's going to be a mortal. That that he's going, you know, go through this. But he's going to be crowned. Now he's back up almost. You know, he's crowned with glory and honor. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And why? Verse ten. For it became him for whom all things are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many children okay unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings now we shifted to the father in a sense speaking or at least the son in the will of the father speaking of himself right that he is doing this as the captain of their souls right why so how does this work verse 11 both he that sanctifieth that'd be Jesus, and they who are sanctified, that'd be us who are striving to be saints and to be disciples of Jesus, right, are all right. of one, for which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren, right? Now, that's really interesting language. He is, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is constantly comparing Jesus to everything, and he's always found to be above everything, like everything. But here he has brethren, here he has us, brother, we'd say sisters as well, right? That, that That's a total kind of statement that, that this is, um, in fact, look at verse 12. Look how beautiful it is. Saying, okay, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto now, the, this interesting because on one hand, it seems like, oh, well, that now it's shifted to me. I'm going to sing praise to, to Christ and God in the church among but actually, the flow here is the person who's speaking is Jesus. And right. that he is going to what? He's going to actually not be ashamed of me. He is going to actually call me and consider me his brother or his sister. And he is going to praise among his other brothers and sisters. Right. This idea of deification, of exaltation, of being an heir, a joint heir with Christ is beautiful here. And it's expressed yeah. in a congregational way, like almost in your war. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And isn't it? Isn't that fun? It's, it's this communal salvation idea we keep coming to with the, the covenant. But, yeah, I love this because, as you said, like the, the book of Hebrews is again and again. I mean, in many ways, its theme is, yes, you're being persecuted. Don't go away because whatever you're going to is less good than coming yeah, to yeah. Jesus. Right. right? It's the kind of will you also go away to whom should we go? Right. That exchange with Peter and and, yeah. and Jesus. Right. It's, it, that's kind of what this is all about. 
And so he keeps holding Jesus above, but here he gives us the purpose of coming to Christ. You don't, Jesus is above you. That means you don't want to run away. You want to come to him because though he is above you, he is ready to lift you to where he is. And that's the only way you're going to get there. If not, you're going to sink with the world. Yeah. And and to that end, so exactly right. Love that. He says in, in 14, he says, for as much then as the children, all of us are partakers of flesh and blood. We've become mortal. We've become strangers and pilgrims, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've become estranged, right? He says, and I don't know, I don't want to get too emotional here. He also himself, likewise, took part of the same. That he, through death, might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And that is the way he would deliver us then. Then in 16, to be really clear, right? So he's saying, okay, all you who are strangers and pilgrims and feeling for yourselves and, and you're, you're going through it and you're in the gym and you're, you're doing the torture device and it's hard. Jesus says, okay, I made sure I went through the gym too. I made sure I went through every one of those torture devices as well. I made sure I tore every one of those muscles too, right? And to death so that there would be nothing we would experience. Verse 16, he took not on him the nature of angels. He didn't retain this premortal preeminence and status of a god. No, he condescended and took on him, in this case, the wording is the seed of Abraham. 17, in all things it behooved him to be made like his brethren. Now, there's the, uh, there's the juxtaposition. We... To be like him, have to be his brethren. But he, to be like us, had to be like us, literally. It's really interesting. This makes him a merciful and a faithful high priest in everything pertaining to God, right? That's how he can make reconciliation. So to be really clear, 18, in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And so, again, without fully explicating this, I'm going to share a statement of Howard W. Hunters and maybe several others that, that I think are super helpful. Here's Howard W. Hunter, President Hunter, in 1976 as an apostle. He says, it is important, this is the October 76 conference, it is important to remember that Jesus was capable of sinning, that he could have succumbed, that the plan of life and salvation could have been foiled but that he remained true. He continues with the apostolic logic. Had there been no possibility of his yielding to the enticement of Satan? Now, let's unpack that. Meaning, in his mortality, in his coming down and being a partaker of flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partaking the same. That means he did suffer. He didn't just experience temptation. He suffered temptation. It was a suffering to him. It, 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 it was real in some significant way that then Elder El Hunter goes on. There wouldn't have been a real test, and therefore there would have been no genuine victory in the result. So if I go to the gym, right, let's play with it. If I go to the gym and I futz around and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to select my songs. I'm going to do, you know what I mean? Okay. I, I can say I went to the gym, but I can't say when I came out that I tore any muscles and that now I'm going to be engaged in the healing process of which I'm going to become stronger. 
right? I can't, I can't do that. Only Jesus who, having been tempted in all things, we go forward to Hebrews 4, right? Where he's, we have not an high priest who cannot be touched, the double negative there, with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, right? Elder Hunter continues, if he'd been stripped of the faculty to sin, he would have been stripped of his very agency. It was he who had come to safeguard and ensure the agency of man. He had to retain the capacity and the ability to sin if he'd willed to do so. Now, at the risk of going over a little bit, just bear with me for another statement or two. By the way, Elder Hunter goes on to quote Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 5, right? Mm. And so I encourage you, go seek these, go find these and, you know, just, just you know, discover them. But, but think of this. Here's President Nelson, our beloved prophet, in October last year. Dear brothers and sisters, my message to you today is that because Jesus Christ overcame this fallen world, because he atoned for each of us, you too can overcome this sin-saturated, self-centered, and often exhausting world. And you just see that young missionary in Japan bouncing off of this and that. I'm, oh, I'm tired. When do I, when can I stop? With the power of the holy apostleship destined in me, I bless you in your quest to overcome this world. Because Jesus Christ overcame this world, you can too. I so testify in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. That's how President Nelson concluded that address in the October 22 conference. Our time is up. There's so much more, of course. You, you alluded to the Great Temple stuff, and I, I, I just say, go go find it. It's so cool. But yeah. there's probably... Well, maybe, a, maybe I just yeah. want to add a little bit to what you were saying and what President Nelson was saying there. As I, I think there's this beautiful symmetry of symbolism here, again, in verse 14, because we read, uh, as uh, children are partakers of flesh and blood, and of course, we think of that, that, and I think the primary meaning is that Christ takes upon himself mortal flesh and blood, right? And which he'll say, like, spirits don't have flesh and blood like I do, and this kind of a thing, right? He has flesh right. and blood. But but when I hear partaker of flesh and blood, the other thing I think of is the sacrament, right? And so because Christ partook of flesh and blood and then didn't give in, as President Nelson and President Hunter are talking about, we can partake of his flesh and blood and become godly and get back to our home as we've been talking about and so there's there's some incredible symbolism in the it, both in this book and in the temple that it keeps drawing on and so on that uh, like you say let, dive in and and learn about uh, I, I think you get this beautiful stuff in you know chapter 12 about being able to come into his presence because he's a high priest it, it, so there's so much more everyone should spend a lot of time in hebrews and we only have time for so much but that's just beautifully said phil would just maybe park this idea at, at to conclude what good is it if you have an all-powerful being but they aren't merciful or loving or kind mm. juxtapose that with the opposite what good is it to have a loving and kind and thoughtful sensitive person who has no power right i mean we like that but ultimately they can't open doors for us again you know right the argument that Hebrews makes is that he is a merciful and a powerful high priest. 
And that in the ritual of Yom Kippur, of the Day of Atonement, that Leviticus 16, and so highly encourage that you, you parallel your study, Leviticus 16 with Hebrews, the two of them together as you study them. As you look at that, the totality of Jesus's ability to be both merciful and just a perfectly loving God, to quote Alma, right, is that the ritual of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, has two different goats that have two different, vastly different experiences. And so I would just point and say, hey, go check out what one goat experiences and what this other goat experiences and ask yourself, why are there two and not just the obvious one? And as you study and think and pray and consider, the Lord will teach you more about who he is and why he had to do what he did and how that ritual points to a, a more full and complete Perhaps not a complete, complete, but a more full and complete understanding of the work he's done in our behalf and continues to minister to us. Uh, so good. That's that's wonderful stuff. I, I just, uh, wow, I wish we had hours and hours and hours to go through uh, all of this. But uh, what we've done is has been helpful for me and I hope edifying for everyone. Uh, so it always is when we're with you, Phil. So thank you for that. And uh, we hope that others have found it helpful and that then you'll, you'll share it with your friends. Uh, we, we, that's a lot of work to do this podcast, but we do it because we want to help people. And so uh, we want to help more and more people with the same amount of work. So that's, that's up to our audience to share the word with others and help them see uh, how useful it is. So if there's something in here that you think uh, might be in any way helpful for anyone else, uh, or they might just think, wow, that's wonderful stuff. Uh, please share it with them. Uh, and uh, we're just grateful for uh, those who wrote the scriptures and for the spirit that brings it into our hearts as we read or listen or whatever else and and uh, hopefully helps us. Let, let's have that be what we're giving access to our brain uh, so that we can become more godly and, and it's okay to become more and more uncomfortable with this world. Uh, so thank you, Phil. Oh, thank you. Always honored. So grateful for all you do. Appreciate it.